So today I have Jacob Sedmak from Sedmak Custom Contracting. Jacob's up in the Hudson River Valley, New York. He is a sawyer, and I'm gonna just I'm gonna put him in a box and call him a mobile sawyer. Although I know you know he does he doesn't always do mobile saw, sawing sawing, um, but that's kind of one of the one of the, one of the reasons I wanted to bring him on is you know he's got um, sawmills on wheels. Um, so Jacob, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming. Thank you, Shannon. So let's talk a little bit because you are, well, you're a woodworker and you have like woodworking and, and you actually make things, but then also got into, into sawing up logs and things like that. So can you tell us a little bit about, um, you know, uh, your origin story and, and exactly how you got started in this and kind of up until what your company does today? Yeah. So we, uh, my wife and I grew up in Pennsylvania, Northwest Pennsylvania. And when I was little, when I was a little kid, um, <clears throat> my dad was in the woodworking. My grandfather was in the woodworking. I remember going to little jobs with them when I was real small. And in the summers, when I got a little bit older, I worked for a sawyer, um, kind of part-time, not even officially because I was so young. But I thought it was the most fascinating thing. He had a mobile sawmill. He would bring it on the, our, our property, my dad's property. He'd have some logs cut up to use for buildings and siding and whatnot. And I thought it was the coolest thing. So since we got married, my wife and I, we always talked about getting a sawmill. It never happened. And finally, we, we pulled that plug um, about six years ago. And ever since then, We've just been very busy. <laughs> Before bad. we had the sawmill, we had a wood shop set up, and we did a lot of um, custom projects, tables, and nothing real large or real ornate or delicate, but um, just a lot of various projects for people in the area. Hmm. Um, and we just, I slowly worked toward, I wanted to work toward getting to the actual source of the woodworking, which in my mind was the mobile or was the milling right. aspect of it. Sure. Yeah. It seems to be kind of a common sentiment. So do you yeah. still do any of the woodworking side of your business today or is it all sawing now? Um, we haven't for the last, since we started, but <laughs> no this, time. <laughs> this, yeah. So the original goal of getting into the mobile, sawmill work was we would have an unlimited source of wood for us to work with and we could do anything we wanted with it any projects that we could dream up we would have a source of wood because we we would have no um but since we started we have just been so incredibly busy we <laughs> we haven't had time to do any projects for ourselves well, you're, you're, you're building a retirement stash. Just look at it that way, I suppose. Yeah, we save little pieces here and there, and things that I think are unique and that I would eventually like to use, we, we scroll away. Right. So just I'm, this winter, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, please continue. I was going to say, just this winter, because of not wanting to work out in the cold, um, because we'll do mobile work straight through. Yeah. And this winter, we're getting set up with our wood shop again. In, a, in an old barn basement, old bank barn. Nice. So we have still have all, we still had all the tools, but we're just slowly setting everything up to use again. 
Sure. Yeah, well, it's been on hiatus for a while. It sometimes can take a little bit of time. It's it's interesting, though, like even during like all of the COVID pandemic and everything, um, you were still busy going to people and cutting down trees. I mean, I guess, yeah, I mean, you're outside. Um, they stay in the house. I guess there's really nothing holding that up, right? No, most, I would say 90% of our jobs, it would be myself and a helper I'd bring. Mm-hmm. And it would be just us, either out in a field or in somebody's large yard, kind of off on our own, cutting wood. Yeah, no, so that's, that's kind of nice. We're, uh, we're registered, licensed through the state as agricultural business. So technically, we were considered essential. Um, right. So we could pull on that if we had any questions about why we were out doing work. It seems like such a long time ago now that term essential business and essential worker was like part of our daily vocabulary. And you just saying that, I don't know if that brings back good memories or bad memories, but yeah, I remember having the same conversations at, at our lumber yard, you know, we are essential, but at the same time we had an office, you know, I have an office with a lot of people indoors and it's like, yeah, we're essential, but this is freaking me out a little bit. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's go back. I'm curious what your, your memory, um, this sawmill when you were a kid that showed up, do you, do you have any, any recollection of what kind of sawmill it was? And like, you know, give me an idea. When was this like 1980s, 1970s, nineties? No, this was in the mid, I think the mid nineties, like around 97, 98. So not super long ago. Right. Um, There was a wood miser. The guy is still in business. Oh, that's cool. He was kind of a family friend of my dad's. Um, but when I was young, I just remember it being this big, massive orange portable sawmill. <laughs> right. Um, well, it, it's interesting because I have, I have a similar story that goes back uh, a bit further into the late seventies. Uh, we were, um, stationed on, uh, on an air force base in, uh, Alabama <clears throat> and, uh, this guy like showed up at my neighbor's house to cut down a tree and started milling it into logs. And at the time, you know, I didn't know I was probably four or five and it was, a, a you know, in, in my memory, I have to really kind of dredge it up. But knowing what I know now, I know that it was a circular mill, big rubber tire, circular mill. And it was, it was literally just a two big, like tractor tires. Um, some kind of carriage, you know, it had a long, uh, like, uh, uh, axis on it and then just a big old circular saw blade <laughs> and, and like wow. a motor hanging off the side. I can only, and they like leaned it. So it, just the two wheels and it would like drop down at an angle and they would kind of push the log up the ramp. So it kind of acted as like a simple machine cause it provided that ramp for you. But the guys were out there with, you know, they were probably can hooks. I can't be totally positive but i mean the scariest thing i mean i remember being fascinated but terrified at the same time because those circular saw blades are enormous and there was Mm -hmm. no fairing or housing or anything around it um it was just like an arbor and a big old motor and this giant blade and these guys were just kind of pushing it up this ramp by hand into this giant blade so yeah the tech has changed a bit i think um and that may have been that, who knows? You know, Alabama in the late 70s, it was a different time. 
but yeah, I, just, I could. That was my first memory of a mobile mill, and it was absolutely terrifying. It was like, you know, reminiscent of like, you know, Wiley e. Coyote cartoons or something. It might have been the Acme Company that made that sawmill. You never know. So, yeah, yeah things, things have changed a bit. So today, yeah, um, you have three mills now, correct? Is that what you told me? Um, we do. We have a Woodmiser LT50 which is our main portable mill. That was the first one that we purchased. Um, and then we have a, a Woodmiser LX250, which is not manufactured to be mobile, but we purchased uh, an extra long trailer, kind of a narrow size, but long equipment trailer, okay. made it mobile. And then we have a Lucas uh, slabbing mill. Oh, yeah. Um, those are kind of interesting because that's more of like set it up around the log, right? Like it series, almost like like the, the carriage itself, you set up like the frame and the carriage runs over top of the log. Am I getting that right? Lucas is Correct. a yeah. brand I know we, of, but don't look at a lot. And we got that because we <clears throat> did a lot of chainsaw mill work, um, like Alaskan style, I guess you could call it. Yeah, yeah, and that's actually kind of, almost like it grew out of the Alaskan. It's like an Alaskan mill with a lot more stuff to it. <laughs> Same kind of idea yeah, with the carriage. Myself and a worker, a couple helpers would be using this Alaskan mill all day, day after day. And it just got so, it was taxing on you. It was mm -hmm. hard, hard work. And we just decided since we're getting into this so much, it'd be better to, to get something a little bit, more designed for the larger logs mm -hmm. that are too big to move with a crane or, or anything. So sure. that's why we went down that road. So let's, um, I guess, capacity-wise, I mean, the, I, I know the LX50, that's a nice one, hydraulic and all kinds of, makes things a little bit easier to move around. But what's the capacity on that? Uh, the 50 is 35. Uh, 35 inches. Okay. 34, 35. We made a little modification um, in the throat design <clears throat> to be a little bit more stable mm -hmm. for the guide arm. So that shrunk it, shrunk the capacity by an inch. So we're, right now we're at like four, 34 inches. Still, that, that ought to handle a majority of the stuff you run into. And then, mm -hmm. of course, your, your Lucas, I mean, is there a capacity? I mean, I suppose, yeah, there is a capacity, but. You said it was a 108, so is that its capacity, 9 feet? Yeah, 108 inches. Wow. Yep. And then you can get rails to make it unlimited length, but right now right, we, yeah. we're only set up for 20 feet long. Interesting. That uh, really opens things up quite a bit. And then um, the uh, the other, the Woodmiser, that one I am pretty familiar with. We have a, a similar model to that at, at my yard. Yeah, and it pretty much just sits on the ground, but you've then put it on a trailer and essentially turned it into an LT50, in other words, something along that line. But uh, that one's a little bit bigger, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I spoke with a couple guys at Woodmiser and asked them, is there any reason why the length is not unlimited on this? Because the advertisements say <clears throat> um, it comes at, I think, 13 and a half feet, mm -hmm. the standard bed. You can get one bed extension to make it 18 feet. Um, but the design of the, of the actual mill is the same as their other mills that are labeled unlimited length. 
So we talked about it and it boiled down to the welds and the, the actual structural design was not um, purposed for logs that would be 50 inches in diameter and 30 feet long. Mm-hmm. A log that big is going to be thousands, thousands of pounds. So um, the welds are not designed to hold that amount of weight. So they limit you the weight of the log by the length of the, the bed. Right. Yeah. So before we had that mill, we had an LT 15 standard, which was 28 inches wide max cut. And I had a couple bed sections made by a local welder and we would mill 40 foot long beams for customers that wanted them. Wow. Um, but when you have a 40 foot long tree, it's almost a given that every time it's going to be larger than 28 inches. <laughs> yeah. They don't stand up real well when they're skinny at that length. No. So that combination wasn't working for us. Um, wow. So we are set up now with this um, LX250 to cut 40 feet long, but the biggest diameter log that we ever put on it's maybe 36 at max. Yeah. Um, so we don't have to worry about that weight and jeopardizing the structure at all. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Good combination of uh, 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 a good nest of tools there. In other words, you pretty much can handle anything uh, that gets thrown at you. So what is the, what's the typical kind of stuff? What are, what are the species you're running into uh, on a daily basis up there? Um, in this area, I would say 50% of what we cut is some type of oak, uh-huh. uh, red oak, white oak, uh, rock, pin oak. Yeah. Lots of different varieties in this area. And then um, the next thing that we cut a lot of is black locusts. There's a ton of black locusts around here. Yeah. It's pretty invasive. And Yeah. And I, in this area, people are really starting to realize the benefits of using it. Like the, the variety of things it can be used for. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're trying to encourage that. We, we, we do sell some retail a little bit. We keep a small stock in our yard to sell out of. Um, and usually anytime we cut black locusts, it sells that same week. As soon as people mm-hmm. hear that we have it or drive past and see that we have it, it, it sells very quickly. How interesting. It's kind of, uh, you know, because I've certainly talked about it on the show before, um, you know, because it's such an invasive species, it's not universally accepted uh, around the U.S. anyway. In fact, there are some states where they they do not allow it to be planted. Um, Mm -hmm. But, yeah, people who start to use it and, you know, I used it in the traditional uh, fence post uh, application. Um, That's how you see so much of the black locust now. It's essentially... Uh, narrower trees that have just been debarked a little bit and you've got a round fence post um, and they're fantastic uh, in that capacity. But, you know, I've started to see people starting to mill it into decking a little bit more. It's been turning into siding applications. So yeah, it's starting to gain um, a lot of prominence. There's just not much in the way of, you know, commercial infrastructure around it. Um, So it's like as soon as it were to become like popular, we'd run out. (laughs) <laughs> and and yeah. and I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. You know, I think that will actually protect the black locust. Um, that the infrastructure is not as unified, but yeah, certainly where you can find lots of it, people tend to be really excited about it. I get a lot of phone calls about black locust um, day in and day out. Yeah, I sh- I should say that it's 
it's very it's readily available. It's it's very common in this area. But mm-hmm. good quality locust logs can be kind of difficult um, to find around here. For example, we uh, were working with a, a local logger trying to get some locusts for a job, and he said he's taking down this big stand of logs, and he estimated he could have a bunch of thirty foot long logs, um, quite a few of them. And he let me know when they're ready; he could bring them over. And he texted me a few days later and said that they were all bad inside, all full of ants, black ants, rotten. Wow. So it's hard to tell with a lot of trees, not only locusts, but um, a lot of softwood in this area too. It's hard to tell what the quality is until they're down. You can look inside the log. Right. Hmm. What a shame. So you mentioned you you have like kind of a small retail operation. Tell me a little bit about your your physical operation. I mean, certainly one of the reasons I, I wanted to bring you on the show was to talk about when you go to people, but obviously you've got, you know, somewhat of a home base. Um, what's your, what's your yard like? Um, and what do you do at the yard? Um, or do you, do you, is the intention to go and mill as close as you can and then bring it back to a yard? How do you differentiate those two sides of the business, I guess? Um, well, our, our yard is, mainly used for uh kind of backup stock um okay if people have something that they're looking for uh like locust decking or white oak decking or we'll do some air drying we'll let some stuff sit around and where we're set up people could drive by and they'll see all the stacks of lumber and we get i would say 60 percent of our business is from people just driving by and coming down mm-hmm. from the road and buying just a few slabs, one slab, one board at a time, which can be kind of difficult if we're down there cutting. Um, <laughs> right. It kind of breaks the day up a little bit. But our main work, I would say 90% of our work is the mobile uh, mill milling of it. Sure. So we mainly started to build a stock up to use for ourselves. And then I thought we're never going to use all this. So as people come, we'll just start selling it. So then what do you actually mill? You know, you just said people come by and you're, you're in the middle of cutting. What are you actually milling then back at home base? Uh, these are logs that people, uh, that customers want, want cut. Mm-hmm. And we have one price to go out and do mobile work. And a lot of times if we have additional equipment that we have to bring, we have a little um, all-terrain forklift we can take with us. Um, these are some things that might add to the price of a day of milling at their location. But if they're able to get the locks to us, if they're not very far away, a lot of customers will have a dump trailer or a friend with a dump trailer. Um, if they can get the locks to us, it's more economical for them okay. for us to cut it at our location. That makes sense. <clears throat> so then let's talk about the kind of the typical mobile <clears throat> sawing engagement. Um, how, how does it, how does it happen? Are, are they primarily, well, I mean, I guess it's kind of mostly homeowners, I would think, right? That you're dealing with. Yeah. About 80%, 75, 80% are homeowners. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, um, they call you up and say, I've got a tree that um, you're doing the felling or has it already been felled? 
Uh, we have felled trees, I think, only on maybe th two or three jobs that we've ever been on. Okay, that's what I thought. So, so most of the jobs are, the logs are down, or yeah. the trees are down in the logs and we just pull up. Yep. And is there, uh, I mean, is that somebody took it down or storm damage or I guess a little bit of everything? That's that's kind of a mix, 50-50. Okay. Um, sometimes people have a tree that for safety factors, like you mentioned before, they want to take it down mm -hmm. and they don't want to waste it. So they want to turn it into something. Um, other times it's a storm damage, trees come down or it's amazing. A lot of times there's a tree in, on somebody's property that has been down for years and they're basically sick of looking at it and they think, Hey, I could use this for something. So we should get it cut up. That is interesting because again, I, and I've, I've done a show on this, you know, a, a lot of people are under the impression that when the tree goes down, it's like the clock is ticking. Um, and, and maybe in some, some instances and in some species and certainly some climates that can be true. But, you know, I, I personally visit a lot of lumber yards that have log yards of just logs that have been there, you know, and there's several distinctive ones. And it's like, that log's been there for five years, at least. I remember seeing that five years ago when I was at, you know, this lumber yard or, or whatever. And I've had a lot of people who've said the same thing. Like I've had this tree that's been down in my yard and, you know, I'm tired of cutting the grass around it because <laughs> that's really what it becomes. It's, it's this thing that they have to mow around and weed whack around and maybe one day I'll do something with it. Um, do you find, uh, when you've had, when you've had that situation, is the, the actual sawing a different process? Um, is it, is it, um, is there a lot more waste involved at that point? Um, it, it does depend on the species uh -huh. that the, that the log is. Sure. Um, I'm looking at a picture right now of a maple, a large maple log that we cut for a customer and it was back in his woods and he wanted to make a table out of it. And it, it was down. I want to say he said for at least 15 years. Oh my goodness. Is a big, big maple, massive tree, um, probably 45, 50 inches from what I remember wow. in diameter. But the grain was incredible, just loads of spalting. It was, it was beautiful. And there were some pockets of rot here and there. Right. You know, we recommended that he um, take it to a, a fellow that we have recommended in the past down in Warwick, New York for doing the actual um, construction of the table. And it turned out beautiful. Very, very nice piece. Um, yeah, there's so something to maple, be said about spalting. Lot, yeah, maple, we cut a lot of like that. Oak doesn't really gain anything as it sits. Uh -huh. um, you don't hear too much of spalted oak or... No. Um, anything like that. But birch is another one that we'll cut a a fair amount that's older um, but mainly uh, maple and then some ash too can gain a lot of neat character as it sits right so it seems to me there might be <clears throat> um, you know from from your perspective as a, as a business owner it would be really good for you to know who the tree removal companies are uh, in the area uh, especially because that's not really your specialty and frankly I don't blame you <laughs> that's dangerous work but I also feel like there might be some kind of conflict um, as more and more of these tree removal companies are thinking maybe we should get into milling or the opposite. It's a lot harder to fell 
you know, a tree in one big part. Most of the time they want to come out and kind of, you know, bucket and take it down slowly. Or some instances they have no choice because of underground lines and things like that. Or access means they can't really get a crane in there to, and, you know, it's to safely fell um, the entire tree so that it can be sawn into logs. Well, it can be a lot more expensive. So do you, um, do you run into a lot of conflict in that particular instance? Maybe conflict uh, is a have... bit harsh, but... Yeah, and you're right about those things. Um, so, for instance, if we go and, quote, to, to mill these logs that the tree is still standing and the customer tells us that they just had a tree company come out, they're going to take this down. My first question to them is, did they mention that they're going to mill it? Yeah. Um, that we're going to come in after because that will affect the price. If they know that if we discuss it with the homeowner, We'll kind of mark things out as the tree stands so they have a, a an idea in mind and they pass those measurements or dimensions on to the tree service that's going to affect their price most likely yeah yeah i, I mean I'm, I'm speaking from personal experience here i had a um our norwegian uh, spruce big 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 old tree um you know, we were talking before the recording my house was built in 66 this was in the yard when the house was built so it's probably an 80 to 90 year old spruce. And I just, I was thinking, man, I could make a lot of Windsor chair seats uh, out of that bowl, if nothing else. Um, and there were huge, huge um, uh, knots where there were branches over the years that have been cut back, but it was clear, um, you know, maybe starting above the, the, the buttress, the root bulb at the bottom to a clearer section to the first uh, branching for the first kind of knots where they were pruned back was, about 12 feet and um you know i began talking to the tree removal guys and said look i don't need you um i just need you to, to take it down and leave it i'm going to take it from there um but my price i think went up 500 dollars just because mm -hmm. i mean that's a huge mass <laughs> to have to to fell unfortunately i don't have any buried lines or anything like that the pipes are far enough further enough down they had to do you know surveys to make sure of all that stuff but yeah it it cost me because i think i think it was like a twenty two hundred dollar job total so yeah 25 percent of it you know was was because it would have been 25 percent cheaper had i just you know no problem do whatever you got to do um and i'm sure that they would have you know, bucked it into sections and taken it down. So it's, uh, it's kind yeah. of a big deal. Um, <laughs> and the, the yeah. customer's got to make sure that they're communicating that at the same time to their tree removal company, especially those customers that, you know, maybe like you said, they can get it to you and they can save a little bit of money that way. Um, they may think they're saving money, but they need to talk to the tree removal guys because they might have just spent more getting the tree felled. Yeah, exactly. And in this area, it's not you don't hire a tree removal company <clears throat> and they leave with everything cleaned up like they were never there. There's different levels of service. So right. um, just because a customer is having a tree removal company come in and cut this tree down, are they going to move it in place to have um, us come in, pull the sawmill up and just cut the logs or are they going to leave the logs all spread out? Um, what, what's the property going to look like when they leave? So yeah, right. that's another thing that will encourage customers to kind of communicate with the tree guys to stage the logs or to not to stage them 
Um, and because of that, we got in the habit of working with two tree guys in particular that we got to know pretty well. And they got used to how we kind of liked things when we would show up to mill logs. If they knew we were coming, um, they would do certain things um, for us in advance that way. We wouldn't have to do them. We wouldn't have to charge a homeowner to do them if they already have equipment there moving logs around. So let's let's talk about that. What what are those things specifically? Like how? Let's just put it from the perspective of, you know, ideally, what would it look like when you show up to make your job easiest? Um, so our area, I had a little printout map that I would pass on to customers. Um, new customers particularly that would show an outline of the, the truck that we would pull the mill with the actual sawmill it would have dimensions on that uh -huh. the total length of the unit and then kind of how we would stack things around the sawmill during the milling process okay and then where the logs would be staged when we would get there so most every job i I prefer to go there and look at it before we take the mill just sure. because it saves so much time. If you could pass on one or two pieces of information, such as like the levelness of the milling site, oh, um, if we get there on site and look at it and the homeowner was thinking to put the logs at one location, but there's on the other side of the property, there's another place that might work even better just that little small change could make a whole day of milling go so much smoother. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So, so it's a lot of, you know, clearance, but also like where you're actually setting up the mill and how far do you have to move the log to get it onto the carriage? How far do you then have to move the slices, you know, the boards, all that mm -hmm. stuff really adds up over the course of a day of milling. That's, that's interesting. Um, yeah. Hmm. And the best thing for somebody to do if they're looking to have somebody come and, and do mobile milling for them is to ask the sawyer, um, what are the, the details that I need to know in mm -hmm. order to set these logs up? Because just because we have one style of equipment, um, other sawyers might not have that same style. So right. small details might not matter to them or things that don't matter to us may might matter more to them. Interesting. Yeah. If that makes sense. No, it does. Absolutely. So yeah. Um, you know, if I'm somebody that is thinking, okay, I'm going to have a guy come out and mill these logs first and foremost, I, you know, I, I would, I would be a little concerned if that Sawyer did not come out first, you know, without the mill just to kind of assess things, but say they don't, then it's a matter of, okay. Um, what do, you know, as you said, what do I need to know? How can I best stage the, the property for you? Or, um, you know, be asking questions about what kind of access do you need and all that. Um, mm -hmm. Good to know. And I, I would imagine if, if you, you know, as, as the homeowner or the, the owner of the tree is thinking, man, I don't have a lot of room. Um, it's probably one of those things where you want to encourage that Sawyer to, to make a visit and make sure that they can do what they can do um, before they before they show up and more than likely, you know, a decent Sawyer is probably already thinking that anyway. And as you had said, it's kind of cool to have that nice visual, the, the map you were talking about. Um, 
Yeah. It's kind of a neat idea, especially if you have something like that digitally that you can send to a customer, you know, during the initial phone conversations and email to say, look, this is the space that we need. Um, that's a, that's a good idea. Nice idea there. Um, yeah, usually if they're on the phone before talking on the phone, yeah. um, sometimes even while we're there, I'll email it or text it to them. Right. And they can look at it right away. And if red flags show up um, during that conversation, like, oh, I didn't realize it was so long, um, then that tells me I need to get out there and look at it right. sooner than later. Sure. Well, I suppose that's where you could also bring your other wood miser to bear since it's on a trailer. Mm -hmm a little bit well yeah i don't know whether that would make much of a difference now that i think about it um but possibly that could be an opportunity you know if you also have a customer that doesn't have the ability to move it um sounded yeah. like maybe that guy had the maple out in the woods was maybe in that type of situation maybe that's where you you bring the lucas mill uh, to bear or something like that um yeah yeah our design um for our business we're and this might come up later. Um, sorry if I'm jumping ahead, but we we mainly, when we started getting into the sawmill business, we had the idea of anything that could come up that could come up, we would have the ability to mill, nice. no matter where the location is, um, what the type of wood it is, the size of the wood, where it's located on the property, any combination of factors, we could in some way um, get that milled. Sure. Because in this area, there's a lot of sentimental milling. A lot of people have things milled that they or want to have things milled for family reason, um, personal reason, something. So it doesn't really matter where that log is or other factors involved. They just want it cut into something. Right. So let's talk about <clears throat> the actual cutting or maybe pre-cutting you had said earlier, you know, you'll go out, um, you know, the tree's still standing and, and you'll kind of mark it out and see, um, you know, that initial survey uh, of things. Tell me a little bit about that process and let's look at it from a couple of perspectives. Um, probably the more common, you have a customer that doesn't, that knows they want to do something with it, but maybe don't know specifically what they want to do with it, or maybe just aren't, you know, maybe they're not a woodworker and maybe they're just getting it milled into boards and they're going to send it to a woodworker to build something. And then the other extreme, which might be the worse, is the woodworker who suddenly has a lot of very <laughs> specific things that they want. You know, I want this rift and I want this quartered and I want a slab here and I want, you know, free of heart pith, can't beams and kind of timber frame and all that stuff. So how do you look, let's look at the first situation where you Sentimental is probably the best way to put it. You have a customer that really doesn't know. They just know they want to do something with it. Um, how do you approach that and kind of what's your process for the most efficient yield? Or, or maybe that's not even the goal. Um, the most successful engagement, I guess, would be the way to put it. Yeah. Um, the, first, the first thing I try to find out is what they, if they want to do anything with it, yeah. like what, their, what their end goal is. Sure. If they don't really have one, um, of course, when I see a tree, I immediately start thinking of things that you could use certain portions of it for. Right. Yeah. Which I don't want to put that influence on them if they have different ideas. 
That would be hard for me. <laughs> I admit, yeah. I admit to that freely. <laughs> I'm, I'm seeing a, I'm seeing a chair. I'm seeing a table. There's a bed over there. It would be really hard as I'm cutting that. Thing. Oh man, this is my headboard. I'm cutting in half right now. <laughs> that would be tough. Yeah. I mean, if they're looking for ideas, and I'll be all about sharing it with them. Yeah. And, and putting the things out there. But if they're really set on something, then we need to work with that because that's what the customer wants. So. Right. Um. And you might have to tweak it a little bit. There might be a, a different portion of the tree that would be better for that. Um, like if somebody wants uh, a big slab for a table, um, well, one part of the tree is just so massive. Immediately, everybody thinks of um, a, a, main, a main slab for a table coming out of the, the first couple logs. But sometimes those logs are just so big, it doesn't make sense to because nobody wants a 55 or 60 inch wide table. Yeah, so really good point. It might make sense to put that, get that out of a different portion of the tree and glue some pieces together or um, get that main slab out of the bottom of the tree and then cut the center out. Or the key is just finding out what they want to do with the wood, right. if anything. So how can you, how do you go about assessing the log itself? And, and I know that there's a lot of art to this, but um, you had said earlier, like sometimes you just don't know until you cut open the log. So there's always going to be that, that you know, question mark until you really start cutting it. You don't know what's really in there. But as you're, whether you're looking at a, you know, down log or a standing tree, um, what are you kind of looking for to start thinking how I'm going to go about cutting this? It's all based on, again, what the customer wants. Okay, good to know. If, if somebody, if one of our customers wants a lot of flooring, end result, flooring made. Right. Yeah. And there's real squirrely branches, um, it's not going to make very good flooring. If it has a lot of twists in it, branches coming out of it, and the yield is going to be horrible. Right. So we would recommend to them to maybe get some slabs out of that for floating shelves or um, bar stool tops or um, something other than, unfortunately, what they're looking for. <laughs> which right. has, yeah. Narrow, skinny pieces that are going to twist yeah, and check. And, and I say notes. that, and I say that hoping that some other part of the tree can yield um exactly what they're looking for right. and 95 95 percent of the time we can get what the customer wants out of the tree mm -hmm. so, yeah ideally a lot of real estate to play with if you if you know like you said if you know what it is ultimately they want then you can you can kind of start to break down your cuts to to get to forgive the expression the meat of the matter you know the flooring of the matter in this particular instance it's kind of interesting yeah. And it's pretty rare to find, to have a customer that wants to do a, this massive project with one or two trees. Uh -huh. So usually what they, what they want, we can get out of the logs. Um, and like what you mentioned, maybe some logs would yield um, posts or beams better than others, or other logs would make better slabs, um, not so much finished flooring or finished trim. 
So usually we can find the right combination of items to get out of the out of the logs per tree to make whatever they want work. And do you ever have the situations where I mean it's it's their log, so essentially the wood that comes from it is their wood. Do you ever have these agreements where they just need this and this and you know there's 30% of the log left over? Do you then say okay, we take this back to to our yard and and it becomes our lumber or you just have that customer, you meet their need, but yet you still have, you know, a percentage of the log left over. What do you do in that particular instance? So some of our customers will have some logs that they want cut and um, they'll throw the idea out of a, of a trade, mm-hmm. come cut this wood for us. You keep half of it. We'll keep the other half. Um, <laughs> we're not, and no money changes hands, right? Yeah. No big deal. Yeah. So I've only done that maybe two or three times with very unique wood, um, which I know that we can either use or we can sell, no problem. Right. But I, my answer to most everybody that has that idea is we are so overloaded with wood, and we are. We have huge log piles of wood that were, some of it we'll probably never get to mill. Um, just because of time. So we're in no way looking for wood. And then I look at that, what they have, and really think about, like, if they let, if they let that sit in air dry, what would be the most valuable um, cuts for them if they wanted to resell that later to recoup some of their cost? Hmm. And then we'll start kind of going down that road. I'll make some suggestions um, to them about what what to mill it into for them to possibly sell it later. Right. No, that's nice. That's a that's a good way of looking at it. It is. I do find <clears throat> in general, uh, people have an inflated sense of what their log is worth um, because they don't realize just how much labor is involved downstream. You know, mm-hmm. or they sometimes just have no concept of the waste <clears throat> factor. Um, they see this huge tree and think there's a lot of boards in there, and you know. Like in the instance of the black locust you were talking about, it could be, you know, ants in the middle of it and, you know, nothing, there's nothing really much in there, but they also just have this idea that, okay, well I can get, I've got this big stack of boards. So, you know, I looked up my local lumber yard and they're selling those boards for $5 a board feet. It's like, no, it's not quite the same. Um, You might be looking, you know, fractions of a dollar of a board foot because it's perfectly green lumber. It's, it can't be graded. And, there's so many things that go into that. Um, I get a lot of phone calls um, at my yard where people just, I have this log and I want to sell it to you. And, you know, you have to say, look, that's just not what we do. Um, I mean, although technically we have the, the sawmill now, we could, but it, it just, like you say, <laughs> we got enough lumber. I have 8 million board feet of lumber on my yard right now. I'm good. Okay. Yeah. You know, and, and if it is something really, really unusual, that could be something worthwhile. But yeah, it, it's rare that that comes up. Although I am curious, what would you consider to be unusual and make it worth your while? Um, mainly the size of things. Okay. Not not so much the species, but if you have kind of a unique or sought after species, in addition to the size, that's even better. Sure. But if you have just any any type of oak, um, any poplar, um, 
pretty much any maple, but the size is there to make it something, a big slab table, um, which is in this area what people really, really like. Right. That would be um, unique to me. Interesting. I've, I was kind of wondering if that's the direction you were going to go, because, you know, certainly you're going to run into unusual species, but more often than not, they're ornamental yard trees and, yeah. and the yield could be just awful. You know, yeah, you can make turning blanks out of it, maybe if you're lucky. But so let's go to to the the other extreme. Um, you know, I give you a call and I have well, let's just say I have a glorious sycamore in my backyard and I love the tree. Um, I, I, I do admit the leaves are enormous and this time of year. It is a lot of work, but man, the shade that it gives me. Um, during the summer, my house is so much cooler than my neighbors who don't have that sycamore tree. But I do know that, unfortunately, the, the, the time is probably coming. The tree has anthrax. Um, it's it's leaf, leafing and leafing cycle is completely off at this point. Um, it's growing very close to the power lines. Uh, my local utility is constantly saying, we need to cut this back and cut this back. In fact, they just came by yesterday and cut off a big branch that was too close to it. But I know that like the time is going to come and I'm going to want to mill that. And sycamore is a particular species that, you know, it makes incredible cortisone, Rayfleck, like almost this lace wood looking, looking wood. So I know a lot about wood. I know, you know, a lot of how I would use it, but it's also an enormous tree that I could call you up and I, I can't really say, you know, I'm going to make this, 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 and this, um, but uh, mm -hmm. I would tell you, look, I'm a woodworker. I make furniture. Um, I want to get kind of the best uh, yield for furniture type parts, you know. So, and, and that could actually be easier because furniture type parts of typical lumber yard is six to eight inches wide, you know, FAS lumber. But mm -hmm. I, I would hope, me personally, I wouldn't be this way, but I could see a lot of people who would want to get very involved. Um, in, in how it's milled and the thickness we're going for. And I want it all quartered and I want it all rift or I want, you know, X amount of rift and, and really, really detailed. Um, <laughs> so maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but kind of a nightmare of a customer. <laughs> so what do you, how do you handle that type of situation? Mm -hmm. And, and what's the, what's the best way for, there are a lot of woodworkers listening to this podcast who are probably thinking very much like I am. What do you think would be the best way for that type of person to engage with a mobile Sawyer? That was a big yeah, question. Sorry. It, no, that, that can be kind of difficult. And um, they they own this tree. And it's up right. to them to have it cut into whatever they want. That's, that's true. But we can't get things that are not possible out of it, <laughs> like the volume or the quantity. Right. So the the experience that the Sawyer has, he'll be able to look at it if um, if he's I shouldn't say qualified enough, but if he has enough of the, enough experience, and just be honest with you, is right. this even possible? Sure. We'll have some customers that every so often they'll number the amount of certain boards and posts and the way they want it cut out of these logs. Really? And you look at it and you don't know exactly what you're going to get out of it until 
you're looking at it as a finished stack of lumber. Yeah. So, so like, are they marking like on the ingrain? Like, that sounds uh, a bit sometimes too that will happen, but most of the times they'll supply a list um, of things that of, like a cut list. Okay, that's a step further so, than I was even imagining. Okay. <laughs> wow. Yeah, okay. and, you, and you don't want to burst their bubble with it, but we most of the time they're thinking if they have experience in woodworking, their thinking isn't too far off from what we can actually get from it. Okay. So a lot of times we can get 70% of that list out of it. Hmm. Um, it's pretty good. But again, the species might affect that also. Sure. Like if we're cutting a lot of walnut and somebody doesn't want sapwood in the walnut finished material, that has a huge bearing on after you start cutting it, what, like how thick the sapwood even is. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you'll never know. And well, I mean, if the trees fell, ideally, maybe you can look and, and see, but that's, that's interesting. And I, I can imagine like, <clears throat> go, go to Google and, and, and Google, you know, quarter sawn or riff sawn and, and immediately those diagrams, like the cross section of a log, you know, and here how a board is radially sawed. Here's a board that's quarter sawn and you see, you know, like Tetris, yeah. the stacking of the boards on the diagram. And I, I know there's a lot of people probably, they look at that log and that's immediately what they're thinking. They're thinking of those diagrams that, you know, uh, the, the various sawmills and things have put out on the internet and thinking, I'm just going to uh, stack my boards in here and get this perfect, uh, I've got this little space here, so I'm going to get a two inch wide quarter board out of that. And uh, I suppose, I suppose yeah. that can be helpful. That might actually be more helpful than the guy that has no idea what he wants to do with it, right? At least you have some guidelines uh, to work. Yeah, to. there's there's kind of a happy medium because the best the best list that we can be given as Sawyers is if somebody comes and they say they have this, this these twenty logs, they want fifty percent of it cut into one measurement, say twenty five percent in another measurement, ten percent in here, ten percent in here, and that gives us a little bit of room to actually um, make some judgment calls during the milling process based on the shapes of the tree, the quality of the quality of the wood. Right. So I would think that it would be difficult <clears throat> to, you know, for the customer that is saying, you know, I want some rift, uh, I want some quartered and the rest you can just flat saw because you can't really, change sawing method like halfway through i mean i suppose you can cut the whole thing in half and flat saw one half of it um and then quarter the other half and saw that way but you can't really there's such different ways of approaching sawing a tree um i don't know am i wrong in that it feels like it would be difficult to to change um you know i want some quartered boards here and i want you know flat or through sawn here D does it work that way am i being um I'm not a sawmill runner, so. No, no, you're right. So if you have a log that pretty close, you could, we could look at it and determine that this this log would make really nice quartered wood. Mm -hmm. um, but if the, I should say it the opposite way, it would make really nice slabs mm -hmm. because of the character of the side, the uh, the live edge. Sure. Um, but if the customer wants everything quartered, 
their quality of the quarter wood is not going to be very good. Um, and if they have that list that they gave you, you have to determine whether to give them something that once they see it, you know they would be happy with it because of the character. Right. Because they're not going to be happy because they don't have as much quarter wood. Sure. Is what they wanted. So that can kind of slow down the process because you end up contacting them if they're not around, just not to upset them or get their permission before you do it. You end up contacting them through the job, which can kind of slow things down. Right. Yeah, I have to wonder, though, like, um, and again, just speaking personally, like back to the sycamore, I feel like it would still be best to just through saw the whole thing, um, knowing that once I have a slab, you know, and if we're sawing them into eight and 10 quarter thicknesses so that I can get them to, you know, hopefully season without completely cracking and warping apart. But there's so much more as a woodworker you can do with a slab than mm -hmm. a bunch of narrower quarter sawn boards. I mean, you can still get quarter sawn out of a slab, go to either side of the pith or, you know, the center of the tree, the center cathedral, and you're going to have rift and quartered flanking it. So it just mm -hmm. seems like to me, you've got a lot more options that way than going straight to quarter sawing this and you know, ending up with narrower boards and possibly a, a lot more, a lot of much narrower boards. Um, and you might lose some of that character of the overall tree because you're, you know, cutting out these little swatches, if you will, from the overall thing. I feel like the, the best way to do it is to yield the best yield, which to me is through sawing, you know, you, yes. you, you get both live edges and then there's so many decisions that can be made, frankly, easier because they can be made with typical wood shop tools, right? You know, I can take, even if it's a 10 or 12 quarter slab, you can still do a lot with that on a table saw. It's heavy, no doubt, you know, so maybe a circular saw would be better than a table saw, but at least that person can, can do that. Uh, whereas they can't do that from a log. Um, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm answering my own questions here as I talk, but no, and that's what we tell the customers. Once a, once a, a tree is cut into a smaller size, that's what you have. That's what you're stuck with. Right. Unless you have so, glue, you can't do much with it, you know? Yeah. yeah. So especially if they're, they're kind of undecided on what they want to do with it, we kind of lean towards slabs or, um, smaller posts. Yeah, um, something that they can always cut down later. Sure. So let's let's talk. Um, what has been, what's been your favorite job or most unusual job? Um, most unusual, I would say we have one customer down in New Jersey. And That's unusual. He <laughs> is, yeah. Those Jersey people. Ooh. Super, super nice customer, very nice family. Um, but his wife is very sick and he is going to be retiring in about three years now. So he's setting himself up for retirement to be home with her. Mm -hmm. And we have cut, I would say, 25, 20 to 25,000 board feet worth of all different kinds of material, any species that we can find around here, he'll collect up and he'll send to us. We'll mill it, we'll air dry it for a little bit at our place, and then we would deliver it down um, to his place and stack up. 
and he's going to have a full um, stock to work from during retirement to sell wood from or to work from. He's set, setting up a wood shop right now. Wow. That's some long-term planning right there. That's fantastic. Yeah, and it's, like I said, any type of species he can find that that he can picture working with and all different sizes, and we're cutting them into slabs, a lot of quarter sawn oak, um, all different kinds of cuts. Where is he getting the logs? Anywhere he can find. Interesting. He'll, yeah, he'll be driving past tree services that are taking trees down. He'll stop and he'll make an arrangement. He'll send me to go. He'll send us to go pick him up, bring him to our place, cut him for him. Hmm. Or he'll contact people on Facebook, Craigslist, all kinds of places. Yeah, I mean, I've had this conversation with a couple of guests in the past. They're kind of everywhere, logs. I mean, once you actually start looking and noticing, you start to see them everywhere. And it's usually just a matter of stopping and having a conversation. You know, a lot of these tree removal guys yeah. would be thrilled to have it go somewhere other than, you know, into the chipper or something like that. Um, even a couple episodes ago when I had a, a Garrett on, the Garrett and the Big Red Oak episode, same type of thing. Yeah. He's driving by and he's like, man, it'd be cool. And all it took was just to knock on the door or send an email and eventually it happens. Because I do I do hear from people all the time, like, where do, where do you get the logs? And, you know, maybe, maybe we've become too much of an internet society where we're just so used to being able to go to Amazon and add to cart. Um, <laughs> sometimes you've got to go knock on a door or go talk to a person and say, what are you doing with that tree? But they, mm -hmm. they're kind of everywhere. Um, that's really cool. And what a great yeah. like arrangement. <laughs> he's got you, he's got you on retainer almost. I got another log for you, Jacob, <laughs> send it your way. That's really cool. Yeah. He'll send me a message saying he has a truckload of cherry coming. Um, huh. so we have room, stack it off to the side and Every single day, I guess I should say this is our one of our favorite jobs because um, the family's so nice. Mm -hmm. And every day that we would mill wood for him, he would come and help. That's cool. So yeah, he'd be I'll, right well, there in us. In I don't with blame us him. I'd be doing the same thing. You know, this is my this is my retirement stock. That's really cool. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you mm -hmm. get to build a relationship with the guy over the years too. Um, it'll be really. Mm -hmm. Um, exciting once he does retire and once he actually starts making things to be able to see, you know, remember that tree that I sent you, you know, four years ago or whatever, it's now this table. That would be really interesting. Mm -hmm. wow. Yeah. Yeah. You'll definitely want to stay in touch with that guy once he starts making stuff just for, um, you know, to, to see what he makes from it. So I guess to kind of, uh, to put a bow on this, I'd be curious and I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to put you on the spot here, but for someone who is looking to engage the services of, of a mobile Sawyer, what's, what are maybe three tips you could give them um, that would help the job go a little better or prepare? Um, yeah, just help the whole thing, or the whole relationship go a little bit better. Can you think of maybe top three things? Um, as a customer? Yes. Well, I'm speaking from the perspective of the Sawyer, you know, things that would make your job easier, but would also, you know, turn it into kind of a, a regular job into a great job. Um, what would the, what should the customer, um, what should the customer know? What are maybe three things the customer should know or um, do to, um, as they're engaging their Sawyer? 
I would say probably the first thing would be to um, really think about the whole process of like what a small amount of work the sawing is in, in the whole process of using the wood. Mm, good point. For yeah. example, um, let me see, how, how should I put this? The time that we're there cutting is is only 10, maybe 20% of the work involved in getting that wood to the usable state. Right. So there's a lot of other work involved. A lot of customers don't realize um, that they need a, a place to, to dry the lumber, to stack it. Um, it's amazing how many times we'll cut wood for people and at the end of the job um, they say so how long do we have to let this sit to use it and they're shocked when you tell them and that's <laughs> like what I'm telling them is a super rough estimate so much has a bearing on where it's stored the conditions of the, the weather during the drying process um, how often you check it if you have to make any cover changes or protection yeah, changes. I was going to say, it's, it's not a set it and forget it type thing. You know, you don't want to just stack it and come back in three years. Yeah. 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 Um, really good so, point. That's, so that's one thing um, to keep in mind. Okay. The other thing would be maybe the, uh, possibly the site conditions. Okay. Um, like where this, where the setup would be. Um, the biggest inconvenience with mobile milling is unlevel ground in, in my mind, based on our equipment. Sure. So, well, do you think that's going to vary much from equipment to equipment? Are there, are there mills out there that do a good job on unlevel ground? I don't think so. Uh, not so much unlevel ground, but like for instance, our one trailer is uh, 40 feet long. So yeah. if you have a foot out of level, which is pretty much our max with our LT50, um, one foot at a level within 20 feet. If you go 40 feet, it's two feet, which is pretty much impossible. Yeah. So um, that would just be something to, to keep in mind because a lot of customers uh, that we have, we do a lot of milling at our location because their property doesn't yield to having us come on site. Right. No, so they really want it to work and we really try to find a way, but it's just not going to. How often do you like set up on the curb, like in the street? Because that's the most level spot. Uh, we've only done that once. Okay. And that's, I don't prefer to do that. I wouldn't think based so. Based on towns and municipalities. <laughs> right. It just sounds dangerous. Yeah. You have people walking their dog down the street and right. I don't want to get involved with that. Sawdust flying everywhere into the neighbor's yard. Yeah. That sounds like a nightmare. All yeah. right. <clears throat> Can I drag a third tip out of you? Yeah. I think to have in mind what they're going to do with the scrap, with the waste, the sawdust. Um, oh yeah. The wood scraps, especially if they're in residential areas. So they're going to have this beautiful stack of lumber that they can use, but also what are they going to do with the, with the sawdust and waste 
um, which our business, we can take that with us. That's one of our things that we offer. If you don't have a, have a, a place for it or a use for it, you don't have chickens or you don't have a fire pit you can use the waste in, um, then we can clean all that up at the end of the job and we can take it with us like we were never there. I mean, so, and, and I think that the next step there is important that they understand that that's a line item on the invoice. Like, this is not free. Um, so, I mean, yeah. I certainly that comes into just your initial conversations and the quoting of the whole job and everything anyway. But that's something <clears throat> I was not thinking that at all. Because um, I guess you, you kind of just assume, <clears throat> excuse me, like you said earlier with tree guys, the expectation is you'll never know they were there. Uh, when they're done, like, especially when they do stump grinding, you know, you, mm -hmm. you just have this kind of shallow depression in the ground and you never knew that anybody was there. Um, that a comes with a cost, or there could be some stuff here that you might want, like, and do you really want it? And what will you do with it? And say it's okay. I want the scraps. I can burn them on my wood stove. Where do you want us to put them? Or are you going to move them? Or are we going to move them? Um, and how much, again, back to this, your point one, how much time it actually takes. It's not, you know, maybe it's 20% sawing. Um, stacking could be 50%, you know, depending on what you're stacking. That's yeah. particularly interesting. Yeah. Because there's a yeah, lot of stuff, a lot of waste that comes out of that. Yeah, it, it, it is. And like you said, a lot of it is good. They can, if they have a little wood shop, once those waste pieces are dried, they yeah. could stand them up on a bandsaw and resaw them and get some stuff out of them. No problem but they just need a place to put them in the meantime. Um, huh. And a lot of times they will want the waste. They'll want to use it for something. So really okay. to keep that in mind. See, I think there's a whole other <clears throat> like uh, um, evolution uh, of your business that can come from this is you could start like showing up with like spoon knives and say, look, you can make spoons from this stuff and do a little tutorial on how to carve spoons. Okay. Now you've got this huge stack. That's all spoon material. You don't have to let that dry. It's ready to go. You know? Yeah. It's just true. the next, the next evolution. Um, start, start teaching the kids how to carve spoons. And then while you're sawing the log, they can be telling the homeowner how to, how to make kitchenware out of all this extra stuff. That's true. And we try to, we don't, I, I know every sawyer ha handles it different with their pricing, but we don't have all these different prices for all these things that we can do additionally. It's just a day rate. So right. whatever yeah, you want point. them to pay, that's the price. If you want everything cleaned up, it's a little bit less milling that will get done, but we'll have everything cleaned up and it's the same price. Yeah. No, I, I, I like that. It's a, cause you're right. It, it, it only leaves a bad taste in people's mouths when it's line item after line item after line item. Well, yes, we could do that, but yeah. Yeah. Good way to put it. And I imagine there's a lot of people will probably do the same because it would just be, you know, the more, well, frankly, the more attention you draw to how much things cost, the, <laughs> the more defenses come up and things like that. Yeah. Is, and because of that, that has opened up the opportunity for us to offer different things. So that's nice. The price doesn't really change, but we can offer um, to bring stickers with us to stack it for drying. So we'll either leave the material tight stacked when we leave, mm -hmm. or we'll leave it air or stacked for air drying. Now that's um, interesting. I've never we, heard of that. I mean, we're, we stack we're... It for, 
I mean, I've never heard of somebody providing the stickers. Certainly I've heard of air dry and dead stacking and sticker stacking, but um, that's really interesting. Have you found that other people have done the same thing where they've actually brought stickers with them? Um, not, not so much, no. I haven't either. Maybe I'm just naive in this instance, but and I've heard of guys who actually make stickers from some of the sawn material. Maybe they'll take a, a little section left over and they'll saw it into stickers to help with the, the actual stacking. But um, most most of the people I know have had this done. It's been a dead stacked pile when the when the Sawyer leaves. Um, yeah, so if we show up and there is 50 logs to mill, um, yeah. we tell the customer that, you know, these 50 logs are going to take uh, maybe two days to cut. Um just tight stacking. But yeah. if we're going to cut these and sticker stack them, it's going to be roughly twice as much time. Yeah. You know, I'm so glad you said that because on my yard, we have a whole building um, that's called the stacker. Um, that's all it does. Uh, it, it runs boards across, lays them out in one length, and we do a, a kind of initial tally. And then we have three guys who do nothing but sticker stack all day. And they have you know, lifts and conveyor belts and all kinds of like automation built into that. Um, but it is incredibly time consuming to sticker stack. Mm -hmm. Um, if you want to do it right anyway. Um, yeah, that's a really interesting point, but still what yeah, a great, we'll, great service to offer that because nothing will make lumber go bad faster than a dead stack, <laughs> green lumber yeah, dead we, stacked in the middle of the New York summer. <laughs> yeah. Badly. We tell customers that after it's tight stacked, milled and tight stacked, you have about a week to get it sticker stacked yeah. um, at most. Hmm. And you're going to have roughly, if it, if it took us a day to mill it, you're going to have at least a full day in stacking all this. Yeah, and a sore back. Yeah. Plan on the sore back. <laughs> Interesting. Well, this has been this has been fascinating. So, Jacob, um, how how do people learn more about, about your business? How will they... Um, say they're in the uh, Hudson River Valley area and they need something sawn. How can they find you and, and give you a call? So I think Woodmiser has um, a tab on their website to look up local sawyers. They do. Punch in your zip code. Um, or I think you can put in any town in the Hudson River Valley area. And we would we would come up. There's a few others in the area. Uh, most of the other sawyers in this area are stationary. Uh -huh. They don't do a lot of mobile work. But um, then the other, we're on Instagram. We don't have a website. Um, I don't think we would have, mainly we don't have a website because of timing. We don't have time to keep up a website. So we just, and we're very busy. We don't really need to advertise that way. I understand. So, yeah. Um, um, what's your, uh, Instagram account? It's, uh, said underscore C U S underscore con. So said custom contracting, essentially said cuss con <laughs> mm -hmm. nice. Yeah. There's some yep. great pictures on here. Um, a couple of beautiful, uh, shots of some cookies, but I also love some of these slabs that you guys have been milling lots and lots of big stacks of lumber. You guys do a lot of sawing. Um, yeah. your facility so those, is where now, like you say, you have some, uh, material that is available and people drive by and see it where, where is that? So this, so our main yard for selling out of is still located in Pinebush, New York. Okay. But we have recently moved to a farm in Wallkill, New York, 
which is only about 15 minutes away from pine bush very nice so rather than moving all that lumber to sell it from walk hill we're just leaving it there in pine bush um to slowly sell and get rid of mm -hmm. and then everything's going to be here at walk hill at the farm that's fantastic well as i said before we started recording my sister-in-law is up that up in um that neck of the woods a little bit south of you but um still uh, i may have to come by and check it out uh, next time on my way up to maine it's fascinating stuff that you do and I'm, I'm excited to see that uh you know we got a lot of really good information i think because i know a lot of people who have logs and you know there there are the people that want to saw it themselves maybe alaskan mill but there's so many of them kind of like this guy um this customer of yours in new jersey that you know they they just want to start building up a, an inventory of material um and they want to know have somebody that they can trust and count on to to saw it so some really good yeah. information, some really good tips um, for the, the homeowner slash log owner. Um, I, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Um, <clears throat> anything else before we wrap this up? Um, I don't think so. One other tip that I was just thinking of looking at uh, another photo and like your last question, those tips for homeowners, is if somebody has a log that they don't know if it's any good because it's so old, Yeah. Um, if they just if it's really long if they could cut that log in half and see what the inside looks like or take a slice off the end right. cut into it and you don't have to waste um, a whole cost of having somebody come out and mill it to see if it's good you can homeowner can tell by looking at it and sending a few photos to a sawyer if it's going to be good or not even if it's old years old laying out in the woods it can still be a good log to use that's a good tip. Excellent. Yeah, you're right. That would save a heck of a lot of time. So there you go, folks. You've heard it. You've got that log. Go take a slice off of it. See what you learn. If nothing else, it can be fascinating. Um, as, as a wood nerd, <laughs> I, love, I just love oh, yeah. to look at that stuff and uh, see just how the tree grew and all the fun stuff that comes out of it. Um, excellent. Well, Jacob, thank you so much for your time. This has been really interesting, and I think um, people will enjoy hearing from you um, on this topic. So... Uh, yeah, yeah if, thank you, Shannon. It's been it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, if anybody is up in the Hudson River Valley and needs some sawing, uh, you know who to call at this point. So. Um... Thank you very much. We'll have customers that contact us that are not in this area and just oh, with yeah. questions. And if anybody has any questions like that, just because we're not going to have any, just because we're not going to be able to work with you, we would still love to talk with you and give you some pointers and tips. So feel free to contact us. That's great. That's awesome. Good stuff. That's true. One of your best customers is in New Jersey. So that's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you, Shannon, very much. Likewise, it's been a lot of fun.